eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I think I think DeBrusque is there now. I think at times in the past, it's probably gone the other way where he gets yelled at and he was and he would be the employee that would then kind of sulk and mope around and not really be motivated to prove people wrong and instead kind of just get down on himself. And, you know, just to go back to like the point I made about the lines, it's like now wherever he goes in the lineup, he's playing the right way. And like, he, he's, it's like, he has the mindset of, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be the spark. Like, I'm going to be the one who gets us going. Whereas in the past he got moved around the lineup and it was like, it was almost like, uh, I'm I'm getting buried. I'm getting demoted. Ice time's going down. This stinks. And you know, this whole team kind of has that mind. So like, look at you know Taylor Hall going down to the third line. It's like that's you know that's the guy who's won an MVP in this league, and he goes down <laughs> there one overall and, draft pick, and and says right like I asked him about it. You know, a game or two after he had gotten moved down, he was like. Nope, don't view it as a demotion. And because he said they're he so deep, it that way. Yeah. yeah, it's like the team's so deep that our third line is like a second line, like, and our second line is like another first line. Like yeah. that's just how they look at it. And you know, and I think like someone like Taylor Hall embraces. Okay, if I'm on the third line, I'm gonna help make it the best third line in hockey. Whereas I think at times in the past with DeBrusque, he'd go down there and like didn't really have that approach or that mindset whereas you know he, he really hasn't been bumped down to the third line at all this year maybe like a stray shift here and there but I feel like even if that happened now I think he would have a much better approach like I think you would see him almost follow Taylor Hall's lead and like you know be like hey Taylor Hall went down there and like succeeded you know I'm not going to be the one who goes down and and you know just sulks or, or let's let's my plate drop off to that point, too, like, it's so simple. Like, a lot of these guys on, on the team are leading by example in different ways or verbally leading in different ways. And that's another thing that we wanted to talk about was, you know, what the what the turning point really was in the game. Um, and after the second period, Felino 
and Bergeron were the guys that were talking to the locker room. Montgomery mentioned, you know, he went in and he said he was being a little bit negative and Polino asked, you know, can I speak to the, to the room? And he did. And he was able to be the voice that helped them, you know, straighten things back out. And he said, Bergeron said, like, we're not worried about it. We got this. And, and so they kind of put the team, they led the team, got them back in the right mindset for the third period. And, you know, a lot of guys that have just been like natural leaders like Felino uh, and Bergeron. And then you see other people, like you mentioned, Taylor Hall leading by example, Linus Allmark. You know, when your goalie plays that well, you're motivating everyone else to play well in front of him because you want to like you want to do it for him. So like there's all sorts of energy coming from each different guy pulling them to become this like complete team. Yeah. And, and after the game, you know, it was interesting because like Felino was one of the first people available in the locker room and he didn't say like I took the locker room like he wasn't going to be the one to tell us that but we found out afterwards that that's what happened but he was asked like what was the message between periods and without saying that it came from him he said like yeah we basically just said like we haven't shown the the Boston Bruins yet like we haven't been ourselves today so you know let's not like let this game go to waste and leave here without showing the Penguins, showing the world, like, who the Boston Bruins are. And, like, so that was kind of the message. They've, and both he and Montgomery and a couple other players mentioned, you know, that they've been the best third-period team in the league. So, like, that's clearly something that they're embracing where it's it seems like that probably came up between periods where it was like, hey, like, not only have we not been ourselves, like, we're going to go out, we're going to be ourselves in the third period, and we're the best third period in the team. So best third period team in the league so let's show it like let's get this done they, and, they've dug out of way bigger holes than a, a one nothing hole yeah. including against the penguins earlier in the season yeah. like one a one goal deficit with 20 minutes left um is not it's not something that, that they're daunted by at all so they're it's easy to stay calm in that situation i thought it was kind of funny that montgomery said he was kind of the one that was like getting antsy and agitated a little bit more and the guys were like no 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 and he said I don't even have to coach really <laughs> pretty much and he said that to us several times like I just be qu- I'm quiet back there and I wa- listen to them communicate and they they straighten things out themselves yeah and we've heard this a few times now like I don't remember I meant to look it up I don't remember exactly which game it was but there's a game recently where he said you know like he was worked up and he told Bergeron like going to the second to mission it's your room and team came out playing much better so he was like whatever he said worked and <laughs> and i know like it's weird because i when i tweeted that at the time and I, I haven't seen if like anyone's had this reaction today but i saw like some fans who were like wait it's like what does montgomery even do and it's like okay part of being a good coach is knowing your team and knowing your leadership core and knowing when you should take a step back like that's part of being a good coach is you don't always have to be the one to give the rah-rah speech or getting no. guys' faces or whatever when you sense that, okay, it's the player's turn, turn, it's the veteran's turn to take control or those veterans' leaders tell you it's time for them to take control, like trusting them and knowing, okay, yep, I'm going to – I'm hands off. I'm going to – go in my office i'm gonna hang on the hallway whatever like that is part of being of being a good coach so it's not it's not like jim montgomery 
being useless or like not doing anything. It's it's knowing when that is the right thing to do. Yeah, it's like okay, he he controls the practices, he controls the systems, he controls the lineup. Like it's he's doing all those other things, but like when it comes to the motivational stuff, it's just he's he's figured out the best way to work it. He says the he's never had a job like that before where he just kind of like sat back there, watched it play out and and trusted that that the right people were going to um have the right message um when they needed them to. Yeah, and and Bergeron has talked about how you know, you don't want it to be every game that one of the captains is addressing the locker room or whatever and it's not with them. So it's when they they feel it's needed and sometimes it's going to be different people like uh, you know obviously like we just said we heard today it was Nick Felino and we know it's been Marsh and other games uh you know Pasenak will step up and say something like so it, it can be different guys it, it, you know it's not always going to be Bergeron if it has to be a player's message either, and I almost so. feel like Charlie Coyle does that like with his individual line like with Trent Frederick and and Taylor Hall yeah. who if people don't know he's kind of a quieter guy um, so he is more of that lead by example kind of guy, but then I feel like Charlie Coyle's like pep talking that, that third line. Cause they all sit next to each other on the bench between their shifts. And, and sometimes you see it on behind the B them, you know, just having a conversation and each line kind of has at least one guy on it. That's setting things up, saying the right thing. Yeah. And you know, in the past, I'm sure this year as well, like that kind of extends to D pairs too, where it's, you know, a lot of times they'll be like, one guy who kind of takes the lead on on a defensive pair. So, um, yeah, obviously lots of leaders at, at all different levels. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason they've been such a good third-period team be- because, one, they, they, like, have that right approach within the room. And, two, now I think they just have the confidence building. Like, when you hear players saying, like, hey, we're the best third-period team in the league and we want to show that, it's like, they just have this belief that they're going to get the job done. And obviously they haven't been perfect in the third period every game. They've even a couple times recently, they've actually blown leads. Um, but today it was one of those examples where, um, you know, they step up in a game where they're not really playing well. And there's all the weird conditions of it being outdoors. And yet they, they find a way. Yeah. And, and I want to ask you a question. So like, I, I happened to notice, like, some people kind of disappeared in, in the game. Like, who did you think stood out, even if they didn't make an impact um, on the score sheet? And who did you think kind of disappeared? I mean, on, on the Penguin side, I feel like Crosby was kind of really not as impactful as you would have expected in this kind of a game. Um, and then some guys on the Bruins side, too, like, kind of just, like, faded into the background a little bit. Uh, well, it's interesting you mentioned Crosby because I thought that line – was like pretty much dominating the Bruins through at least the first half of the game. Um, you know, they saw a lot of the Bergeron line and uh, either Lindholm McAvoy or Lindholm Carlo. There was some juggling on the D pairs as well. And um, that Crosby line was playing, a, spending a lot of time in the offensive zone. And again, no one was really generating like a ton of great chances, but to whatever extent that anyone was, that line what was doing it like Jake Gensel had some good looks um Brian Rust had one early in the game and then it felt like it completely swung like mm-hmm. that in the third period 
pretty much didn't notice that line uh, other than maybe when they're in their own zone trying to defend. So, um, you know, yeah, that was a key. It was a key to keep them from scoring more than they did during that early part of the game when they were kind of in control and then being able to flip the tables and kind of start pinning that line in because I didn't really think the Penguins had much going outside of that line. I mean, Malkin had a few chances, um, but yeah, so, you know, from the Bruins perspective, it's tough, it's like, it's a tough game to analyze because I, I, I don't feel like any one player was, like, awful or anything. No. But, but really, like, this, there was, like, DeBrusque was the standalone. Yeah. And then there was, like, flashes here and there, like, Hall had a few chances and then set the setup of the second goal. Yeah. I thought Marchand had some moments, some some positive moments. He had a, again, especially on the power play. And, you know, we kind of, feels like this has sort of been a theme where it's like, okay, he's brilliant on the power power play. And, you know, you're still waiting for him to really get going five on five. But he had uh, an incredible play to keep a puck in the zone and then go like through his own legs and end up creating, you know, sort of like a mini odd man rush for himself. Um I think that was in the first period, maybe the second, and he ended up firing over the net. But that was a really good chance. And then on DeBrusque's first goal, um, Martian's the one who gets the puck down to him. And I think I was talking to Nick Felino after the game about this because obviously Felino's, you know, he does that same move that DeBrusque did, getting it to the side of the net and then making that power move to the front, trying to tuck it past. And I asked him, like, you know, what's the key to trying to get the goalie to open up there? And he said, well, really it starts with the pass coming in. He was like, you need whoever has whoever's making that pass to threaten shot or fake shot. And, and get Pasternak the goalie. was on the opposite side as well. Yeah, and get the goalie moving. So, yeah, so whether it's Martian faking the shot himself or faking the pass over to Pasternak, you want to get the goalie moving, you know, before it even gets down to DeBrus because then – DeBrus can get it, and now the goalie's going one direction. He's trying to reset. He's not totally square. He doesn't have everything closed up. And on that goal, it's it's Martian who kind of fakes the shot and gets it down to DeBrus. So just, you know, a s- nice, subtle play where, you know, if, Mar- if Martian's slower with the puck or he just kind of, like, lazily tosses it down to DeBrus and doesn't really seem to be doing it with purpose, then DeBrus is probably looking at – um, Casey DeSmith being completely square to him and not opening up his legs. Yeah, and two people I want to bring up. Do, first of all, do you know who had the most shots on goal without looking, if you were to guess? Hall. Hall. Hall yeah. had five. Marshawn had four. Um, and yeah, he, Hall DeBrusque had quite a had few on the, on the power play. He did. So that's what I mean. Like Hall had those spurts where he was looking very effective. He also had a few shots blocked that were pretty decent um, shots. And, but here's, here's my question. And there was so much going into the game, like Pasternak, Pasternak. What did you think of him? Yeah, I thought it was a pretty quiet game for Pasternak, actually. Um, Just didn't really seem to be much going for him. You know, that second line wasn't doing a whole lot when, when he was on it. And then they switch it. And I thought perfection line generated a couple, actually, I wouldn't even say they generated a couple chances. They had a, some good shifts together. And like I mentioned, you know, they got the the Crosby matchup a lot and 
were able to pin them in, in in the third period at times, but they didn't really turn into like a ton of great scoring chances. Um, so yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't think like Pasternak was poor or anything. I think he, he had one bad turnover that I can recall. Um, but yeah, I just acquired a game from him in general. I thought when the Bruins were on the power play, I think the Penguins did a pretty good job taking that shot away and almost just taking him away as, as an option completely. It felt like it, the power play wasn't even really running through him. Um, so yeah, sort of the, the rare quiet game for Pasternak and, uh, he had two shots. Yeah. So I thought that, and, and you think back to Tahoe and you're like, okay, he kind of had that, like put the team on your back kind of a, yeah. a game at Tahoe and, the Bruins get down by one, and you're like, someone's going to put the team on their back, and you're thinking, oh, maybe Pasta will do it again, but it ends up being DeBrusque. Yeah, and on Pasternak, I mean, I, I didn't really have anything else to add about his game. Like I said, I think it was just kind of a quiet off off game for him. Um, you know, I guess the other big news or talking point um, over the weekend besides the Winter Classic when it, as it relates to the Bruins is, uh, you know, there's – been reports or rumors or however you want to term it that either you know a Pasternak extension is close to being done or that there was progress made there was you know obviously one of the biggest reports came from one of our hosts Rich Keefe um to me you know I wasn't able to confirm anything so I can't sit here and say if there's a deal done or not or close to being done um but it does seem like there was some smoke. Like, there were kind of a couple different things that popped up that at least seemed to indicate that something changed this weekend, that um, either one side moved, you know, a little to get the ball rolling or there's some sort of breakthrough. Um, seems like something happened. Like, stuff doesn't start to, like, leak out like that if – absolutely nothing happened and they weren't even talking like it. So I, I feel like in the last few days at the very least, I, I feel comfortable saying like there's been some sort of momentum and something changed. Now, does that mean the deal's done or it's going to be announced in the next couple of days? I don't know. I just, I haven't been able to get enough information on that front. Um, I don't, I don't think Keith is, is, a bomb thrower like some other people. Like, I don't think he just tweets that out completely recklessly. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, it's it's certainly possible that he ends up being right in these next few days or sometime over the next week that, you know, we hear about something. Do we think, though, that 11 is the number? Like, 11 million a year? That makes a lot of sense to me. That's what I've felt for a while is, is where it will end up because – you know, before the season, I felt like a starting point was basically the, the exact same deal as McAvoy. Eight years, nine and a half million a year. And, you know, you look at other deals for some forwards. You know, Matthew Kachuk signed the exact same deal as McAvoy, eight by nine and a half. And that already kind of looks like a real value for the Panthers. Like, you feel like Matthew Kachuk probably could have gotten more than that, especially when you look at the season he's having the season Pasternak's having, you would think he can get more. Like, you know, Johnny Gaudreau got more than that. He's not having a great year. Um, you know, Matthew Barzell came in, like, right under that. And 
Posnark's much better than Barzell. So, yeah. So I I started to feel like, okay, nine and a half is probably low. It's probably going to have to come – Bruins will have to come up from that. And from Posnark's perspective, like, if he went to free agency, he would be easily the, the biggest free agent on the market. And you could easily see a team splurging and going 12, 12 and a half and, like, getting up towards that Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid neighborhood. Yep. So, okay, you have the Bruins probably a million and a half under 11. Pasternak at absolutely like, best-case scenario can maybe go a million and a half over that. So it's like 11 just seemed, seems logical to me. So, yeah, I can definitely also see the, that end up the, term end the number. Eight for 88 million is almost like per, just like the perfect it, it yeah. looks nice it's like okay number 88 gets 88 million like it's it kind of would be like the headline would write itself pretty much um and i think it's ballpark whether or not he gets 11 or maybe like 11 and a half um i i'm not really sure what how far they are off on the money if that's even the issue. Um, but we always have expected it to be that maximum term. Yeah, um, so that's not even part of the question, really. It's about money and or concerns about the future. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was hoping that um, he puts this out and I'm like, oh, maybe this is going to be like a winter classic, like Janu- like first day of the new year, like some sort of announcement, like, Poss is going to be here beyond 2023, you know, like kind of like that well, kind of thing. I know the running the running joke was like an- announcing it in Fenway in you know John oh, to John just Henry's rub it house. In their face. Like, that would have been so perfect, Scott. Yeah, that would have been such a big f you though. Like even with John Henry now, you know, being Owning owner Penguins. of the Penguins, I I don't think like the Bruins would. I don't think it's really in their nature to do something like that. But And then, uh, then at Xander Bogarts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um yeah, that it would that would have been like an incredible time to announce it, but we'll see. Um you know, it's interesting because just before that, the most recent report was from you know, this was probably like a week ago at this point, it was from Pierre Lebron who had talked to uh Postonic's agent JP Barry. And all Barry said was that they're still apart, but negotiations continue. They're still talking regularly. And then um, Barry also texted back to Steve Conroy of the Boston Herald, um, you know, basically saying, like, he can't say if progress was made this weekend or not. He called he called Keith's report rubbish, quote-unquote rubbish. Um, Which is, like, my favorite, like, old man slash British term. Yeah, rubbish is good. I do like that word. My grandma uses it. Um, but you know, agents also have they have a vested interest of trying to keep the story on their terms and not. Oh yeah, they're not, not letting things get out until their client wants to announce it. However, Pasenak wants to announce it. Yeah, I mean they they're not gonna blow it, and yeah. and especially if there is some like I can see there being like some unveiling, like kind of like a grander, like hey, look at this, like more opulent things like not just like ruin that kind of surprise or planning that they might be doing but once again we might be putting the cart before the horse here like there could be nothing true um and we could just be like having this wave 
maybe things were really going well in contract talks and maybe, you know, tomorrow they're not. Like, it, it's not a done deal as far as we know. Um, Keith seemed pretty confident about it, um, but we're still waiting on, a f- like, I won't believe it until it's, like, official and the ink is dried and I've seen it and they've announced it. And <laughs> well, I think, like, you know, once one of the big national reporters has something indicating that like it's getting close then i think that's ob- that that would be a pretty obvious well sign, today you know? today we were sat next to elliot friedman in the press box he's one of those big yeah. national reporters and I, I didn't get any inside info from him no okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 